I'm Beth. And I'm Jamie. Welcome to Driver Picks the Podcast. Where I pick the podcast. And I shut my capo. And today we're going to be talking about the fourth episode of Supernatural Season 1 titled Phantom Traveler. For me, the weirdest thing about this episode, and I realised that it's an episode where they have a demon like possessing people and crashing planes. That's weird. The weirdest fucking thing for me was seeing a bustling airport. I was watching that going, oh my god, look at all those people. Oh my god, they're travelling to so many places. Oh my god, no one's social distancing. No one's wearing masks. It really triggered me. (laughs) And I'm like, I don't know, you're hanging out in bathrooms and just chatting with strangers. I was like, Jesus fucking Christ. Like, you have a death wish. I didn't really pick up the whole, like, pre-pandemic because I was sort of uh, not really focused on that. I was more thinking, like, if you're in the bathroom and you're panicking because you're about to take a flight and then somebody comes up to you and says, like, there's only a one in blah, 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 blah chance one in that 20, it's go down, yeah. that's a very bad sign. Do you know what's so funny is I noticed that as well, which is that he said there's 20,000 to one odds. And I was like, 20,000 to one? That's not very good odds. In the grand scheme of things, that's pretty bad like if you've got a one in 20,000 chance of straight up dying in a horrific plane crash like is that the actual odds I don't know I'm gonna google it right now because I should have checked the odds of dying as a plane passenger are low one in 188,364 and that's from based on 2017 United States census data so look oh my god the the related asks uh does dying in a plane crash hurt I would think so God. Oh, hang on a minute. Like, uh, I've never death... done it, but I'm pretty sure it would. Well, apparently, according to the Huffington Post, mm. death in a high-impact plane crash is usually pretty quick and painless. I, I have never understood this. It's like when people are like, oh, like, drowning is one of the most peaceful ways to go. I'm like, are you fucking sure? Because I feel like your last few minutes would be you desperately trying to breathe and not being able to. That sounds terrifying and horrible. And also, I feel like there's a very limited amount of ways you could die that I would consider peaceful. And I don't think that any sort of tragic death would be considered peaceful. Like, peacefully passing away in your sleep. Yeah. Anything else? No. (laughs) Plane crash. I'd suggest not. Like, yes, it might be, like, relatively instantaneous, but, like, the last minute leading up to that instantaneous death is pretty fucking horrifying. It's, yeah, it's this case of no matter how instant it is, if it's anything that's not completely unexpected and sort of way out of left field, you didn't see it coming, you're still going to be panicked as shit before it happens. Mm -hmm. If it's something like a plane going down, you know that you're going down. Before you die, you know that the plane is coming down and you're most likely going to die. And it's just this case of no matter what the situation, quoting the odds at somebody is not a reassuring thing to do in an airport bathroom. It's just not. When you're having like an anxiety attack and it's like, okay, I might know in my brain that whatever I'm anxious about is not actually a threat. Like I might know that as a fact, but that doesn't stop me from having an anxiety attack about it because it's not so much about the facts of the situation. It's just about how your body is reacting to it. So it's kind of like, I don't know, I find that if someone's like, oh, but like this fact, I'm like, okay, but that doesn't help me if I'm freaking out. So I will say though, when they get on the plane Mm. and the guy that's possessed as a demon makes a joke about how time flies, I 100% (laughs) I love that moment. That is such a bad joke and I love it. I I love that it comes back. Like, he makes the joke, the same joke, twice, and both times it flops. Like, no one thinks it's funny. (laughs) 
it's okay, random demon. I think you're funny. I love your time flies joke. Yeah. You know, I'll happily sit next to you on a flight where you're about to take the plane down after Uh 40 minutes. It's a character moment. Gorgeous. beautiful. Beautiful. I also love when he boards the plane. And he, like, the air hostess is like, oh, like, enjoy your flight or whatever. And he turns back and she sees the, like, black eyes. And then she kind of just shakes it off and, like, goes straight back into customer service mode. Like, oh, that was weird, but I guess I'll smile at this next person. I was like, holy shit, that is exactly customer service. It's like you just customer service, baby. Right? You, like, have the most horrible interaction or the weirdest, most confusing, uncomfortable interaction with one person. And then two seconds later, you're like hi how can I help you and it's like you you just have to shake it off and I was like this is the most accurate representation of customer service that I have seen in a while (laughs) so next up I just want to say the way they filmed the plane going down Mm -hmm. it looks like a bad Star Trek scene I've never seen Star Trek so I can't even like I can't even argue that I just have to take you at your word like okay (laughs) the use of shaky cam yeah and the way the actors are sort of flopping around Mm. uselessly (laughs) Hilarious. Reminds me of like Star Trek, which was filmed in the 80s, which completely negates all of your points about Supernatural being okay in the special effects department for 2005. I I do have a point about that scene as well, but it's not to do with like the people throwing that. So when I first rewatched this, I actually saw this part and I was like, I have to rewind and double check that I did just see that. There's a section where like it shows the like trolley and it like is going down the middle aisle of the plane and then they sort of cut like you see it kind of hit someone and then they cut to behind so like you're facing now the back of the person just hit and the guy just gets yeeted like (laughs) he just superman style just like flies over it like his legs are straight it physics doesn't exist in this scene bitch haven't heard of her it's so funny he just like the car like hits him in like the upper thigh and somehow he like completely horizontally just flies over it and like lands on top of the seats. If you don't know what I'm talking about, please go back and rewatch it because I rewatched that three times trying to make sense of it, and it's literally the funniest thing. I could not believe that I'd never picked up on it before. It's so funny. It literally looks like they just took a mannequin and like they'd like strapped its legs together and then they just sort of like heave hoed it like and just tossed it over the car and like into the seats. It's honestly so what the funniest thing I've ever telling seen. Telling me is we've reached episode four and we're now in firmly in the camp of wow, the practical effects are bad too. <laughs> Look, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say as a blanket statement they're all bad, but this particular one did make me laugh and I did have to rewind it and triple check to make sure that yes, that is exactly what just happened. Cause I couldn't believe it. It was a uh, an interesting choice. Okay, so I think I'm going to take a step and pretend to be Bethany for a second here. Mm. Ready? Are you ready for this? Oh, I don't know if I'm about to be really offended or not, so I guess I'll wait and see. There's this moment where they wake up in the motel room, mm. and it's a character development moment. This is why I'm being Bethany. Okay. Character Ooh. development. Yeah. There's this moment, and Dean is like, when's the last time you slept? Yeah. And all I can think of is the last time he slept was when he went to go to bed, and a woman burned to death on the <laughs> ceiling above him. I don't know about you, but I think watching a second woman burn to death on the ceiling above of my bed would put me off sleeping for a little bit. I 
So I had some stuff to say about that scene as well. But the first thing that I wanted to mention, this is more of like a fandom thing. So I don't know if you're aware of it. And funnily enough, I'm not going to talk about characters. I'm going to talk about a camera shot. Oh, wow. I know. We're really, the roles are reversing. Um, So, you know, in the start of that scene where Dean's like asleep on his stomach and the camera pans across and it goes like past his thigh, past Mm. his butt, up his back to his head. Yeah. Someone did the maths of the curvature of his ass. Okay. It's called the Ackles ass equation. You can Google it and there's a graph. The reason I bring this up is because this is not like a niche thing. This is like a well-known, like I said, you can just Google it and you can look at the Ackles ass equation. And I I bring it up so that you have an understanding of the level of insanity in this fandom. Like to the extent where they've graphed the mathematical curvature of this man's behind four episodes in. This is not like 10 seasons in and like people are heavily invested and whatever. This is the fourth episode and this is the insanity we have already reached. So I need you to understand like going forward, it's only going to get more insane. I don't (laughs) think I'm prepared for that. I don't think you are. Um, coming back to like the character part of that scene though, I was watching it and I was like, oh my God, just like, it's just Sam just lying. Like he's just straight up lying. And then it goes to like Dean and he's just also straight up lying. Like they're already not being honest with each other about how they're actually coping. And that is another thing that will like have ramifications later on. Um, yeah. Cause Sam's saying, you know, like, oh, like I slept a little bit and Dean's like, well, no, you didn't. I know you didn't. I can prove you didn't. I was awake and you were also awake. <laughs> but then, you know, Sam's like, actually, yeah, okay. I'm, I'm not sleeping, you know? How do you not let all this stuff get to you? And then Dean turns around and is like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I just don't. And Sam's like, you don't ever get scared? Like, you don't ever, like, worry? And Dean's like, no, not really. And then Sam turns around and pulls out the fucking knife from under Dean's pillow, which is just, like, such a, you know, and Dean says, it's not fear. Like, it's a precaution. And it's like, okay, but, like, why are you taking the precautions? Is it per chance because you're concerned that you may need... <laughs> the weapon that you've hidden under your fucking pillow. And also it becomes a matter of like throughout the seasons as well. Like that's something that continues to happen. Like Dean always has a weapon under his pillow, whether it's a blade or a gun or something, there's always something. And like, I'm talking about even like getting into like seasons 13, 14, 15, like that is still something that he does. He will never ever be in a position where he's like asleep or vulnerable in any way and also be unarmed. It just doesn't happen. I would like to say though that it is significantly different to sleep with a knife under your pillow than to not sleep because you're having nightmares. It's one thing to be terrified that, oh, maybe a monster's going to follow you home or something. Mm -hmm. And so you need protection even when you're vulnerable. And another thing to just straight up not be out of sleep because you're terrified of what you're going to see if you do sleep. Yeah, and it makes it so much harder because, like, Sam is afraid of something that is inside of his mind. No matter what he does, he can't really get away from that image that's burned into his subconscious and into his conscious mind as well. Whereas, like, Dean can at least sleep and he might have different nightmares but at least they're different whereas like with Sam it's just it's just about Jess and like he it's so fresh for him and he can't just put it aside and you know we were talking last week about how he's just so angry and like I do get it because he's still grieving you know like it's not been very long I would just like to say though there's a significant difference in his character from last week to this week it's really funny because there's this moment and they're about to get on the plane and Mm -hmm. Dean is like I don't want to get on the plane like I've never had a fly before I don't really like flying it scares me it's not and Sam's basically like well I'll do it myself then Mm. not even two episodes ago 
you were basically saying, now nah, let these people be killed by the Wendigo. I don't John's care. not here. Yeah, exactly. And I wonder if it's a case that they were trying to show the like five stages of grief because he definitely went through anger, you know, and I'm wondering if maybe, you know, that's sort of what they were aiming for. I don't really know. But they don't show any of the other stages of grief. Yeah, so which is why it kind of... It's weird if he's gone from anger and jumped straight to, to acceptance. acceptance. Yeah. Because he's definitely and, not in bargaining. He's definitely not in denial. Yeah. He's definitely not in... And it is interesting because, like, thinking about later seasons and stuff, they do definitely go through those stages when they're, like, going through losses and stuff. Um, especially in the show, like, the idea of bargaining has a lot more implications because obviously there's like a supernatural element to what a bargain could be. Mm. Like he seems calm <laughs> mm. um, compared to like the last couple episodes, especially. And he sort of seems more like, well, I guess this is just my life now. He just seems to have accepted, well, I'm not going to sleep because I keep having nightmares. And well, you know, we don't know where dad is and whatever, you know, I don't know if it's just, it's okay. While we're on the subject of John. Yes. Did they not know in these first few episodes that they're going to try and make John a bad person? Because the vibe I get from this episode when any character is talking about John is not that he's a shitty father, Mm. if that makes sense. Like, he's definitely not a perfect father, but the way they talk about John and the, like, person they helped in the past talks about John, Mm -hmm. it's very much like... He talks about, oh, he was so proud of you and... Yeah. All of this sort of stuff when it's it's a matter of, from what I know of John, he doesn't seem like the sort of person who would be proud of his son for giving up the life of demon hunting and demonic possession hunting and supernatural hunting to go to college. He does not seem like the sort of person who would take that well. Yeah. Who would take his youngest son deciding, I don't want to help people with the supernatural anymore. I don't really want to find who murdered my mother, mm-hmm. etc., and go to college to be law boy at Stanford. <laughs> <laughs> and even like in the pilot episode, like Sam says, I just wanted to go to college. It was dad who said, don't come back, mm. you know, and like they've already established in that pilot episode that John was not on board with him going to Stanford. And then four episodes later, they're kind of not retconning that, but they're sort of putting in, well, he went to like check on you. And like he always talked about you kind of thing. And it's another one of those instances where it seems like different people who were working on the show had different ideas about where they wanted to go with John. And even in like later, later seasons, there's stuff that's said about John or that includes aspects of John as a character that completely goes against canon that they've previously set up in earlier seasons. And it's very frustrating because it, it comes across as like John apologism because they lay all this groundwork about like essentially child abuse. And then they go back and they're like, oh, but he was just a man trying his best. And it's like, well, was he? Because he clearly wasn't doing what was best for his children. Like, he was putting his own need for revenge well before them. And I'm not going to go into too much more depth because you haven't seen the evidence that I'm going to have to refer to if I wanted to go into more depth. But, like, the inconsistencies in not only, like, John's character, but also in how other characters refer to him is frustrating on on some levels because they will go from, like, 
one extreme to the other. Like, oh, he was a good man. He was trying to do his best. And like, he, you know, was a, a loving father. And then the other extreme is like, well, he was a drunk who literally abandoned them for weeks on end. And like threw Sam out when he said he wanted to go to college. Like there's, and those are both correct as per canon. And I understand that it's sort of every character has a different view of Mm. John and a different view of the brothers based on the little snippet of their life they saw. Mm -hmm. But it just, it read really weird to me because even the brothers in this episode it was less like a we have to find out he's in trouble sort of thing and more like a we want to find dad because he's in trouble sort of thing. Yeah. Which is very different. There's a difference Having between a different. Yeah. There's a difference between doing things because you want to and because you feel that you have to. Mm. So it just it felt really weird to me because up till this point it didn't seem like they really wanted to find their father it felt like they had to find their father it's like a duty and like that's really interesting as well because a lot of the way that they refer to their dad when they're actually in his presence it's a lot of like yes sir kind of thing and it's very much like you will be loyal to me because i am your superior officer sort of vibe rather than like i hope that you will listen to me out of respect because i'm your father sort of approach so yeah it's definitely a very much like a duty kind of mindset rather than a like mutual respect and like they care about each other in like a fucked up kind of way but it's definitely not a healthy dynamic let's just put it that way it's very much like i give the orders you follow them no questions asked one thing i wanted to talk about was like you know how last week we were saying you were saying about like leading questions and um, it was a lot about like like putting words in people's mouths and saying like, oh, did you, you know, feel this or did you smell this or did whatever. I love in this episode when they were talking to the guy who they figured out was possessed. Um, they went and spoke to his wife and they were like, oh, did you notice anything strange about his behavior? Like, and they're trying to figure out like what was up with this guy. And she just goes, well, he had acid reflux and... <laughs> I just love that they were like, was there anything weird about your husband? She's like, yeah, yeah, he had acid reflux. That was weird. I did appreciate, though, this time when they went undercover, they A, put in some effort this Mm, time. mm -hmm. They did the whole suit thing. But also when they did question witnesses, this week they didn't do the thing where they were like, so did you see trail marks? Was the creature black? Did you see this? Did you see that? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera they were much more vague with their questions. And I think it might just be a case of they didn't have any idea what they were dealing with at that point. So they had no leading questions to ask because they didn't already have an established monster in their mind. Though I think it'd be really interesting if they have an episode, I've obviously never seen the series, and you might be able to tell me if this ever happens or not, but if they have an episode where they go in, they think it's a monster, so they ask all these leading questions, they're like, yes, it is this monster, Mm. and then it's not. Because all of the questions that they've been asking have just been pointing to this one monster. Yeah. And they haven't asked the other questions that would rule out a different monster, which it actually is. Uh, Nothing is, like, springing to mind where it's, like, that exact scenario. But there are definitely various circumstances throughout the show where it's, like, the plot twist is you sort of assumed it was one thing the whole way and then you find out, oh, actually, it's not. Or, like, someone that you thought was, like, on their side turns out to be the villain, you know, sort of thing. And that definitely happens a few times. 
sometimes it's like, oh, it's obvious. <laughs> it's like, well, it's probably this person. But sometimes I think it's actually built into the episode and like quite well. And so it's it's harder to like pick it up really quickly. Sometimes there's a split where Dean will trust someone, but Sam won't. Or Sam will trust someone, but Dean won't. And so there's like that internal conflict between them. And then you as an audience member have to kind of use your intuition to decide from the information you've been given, which sibling you think is correct. And so like that is also like interesting because it also takes into account like their opinions on the supernatural. So like whether or not they are skeptic of being able to trust or what they think the intention is, you know, or like is the argument like, for example, for like a werewolf, like if they are a good person and like a normal law abiding citizen 29 days out of the month, but then they are this horrible killing machine one night out of the month. What do you do in that scenario? Do you trust them or do you not? And it's, yeah, it's a very interesting, like, ethical kind of conundrum where you have to sort of pick sides with one of the brothers. So, yeah, I guess in a sense, like, that kind of happens. I don't know if that's really what you were going for, but (laughs) that's how I've interpreted it. So one thing that I really liked uh, when they were acting as, like, Homeland Security was when they go to look at the plane uh, wreckage and they go in there and Dean's got his EMF meter. And he looks so damn proud of himself. And he's talking about, and like, Sam's like, it looks like it's made out of a busted up Walkman. And he's like, yeah, that's because it is. And he's like, I made it myself. See, I actually, like, that moment sort of passed. And I didn't really think anything of it. I was like, I noted it down in my brain. Yeah. That's kind of, like, he's so, that's so professional. It's homemade. (laughs) But then it actually comes back around and it helps because the fact that it looks like a busted up Walkman yeah. means when they're on the plane and he's trying to work out who's the possessed by the demon, yeah, it just looks like he's sort of waving around a Walkman. Yeah, which it is not suspicious. look like he's waving around an EMF meter, which would be far more suspicious than just waving around like a busted up Walkman. Can you imagine if he was like lugging some like big detection equipment through the fucking plane and also... How are we going to get it past airport security? Like, they'll let you go through with a Walkman. They're not going to let you go through with, like, I don't know, a taser. Then that begs the question, how the hell do they get that much holy water onto the plane? <laughs> yeah, actually, I did think that too. I saw the drink bottle and I was like, how the fuck? But I reckon it was probably a domestic flight because they let you bring, like, water or whatever on domestic. It's only international that they won't. But no, I definitely had that thought too. Um, I wanted to ask as well, so this is like the first demon that we've encountered on the show. I really like how they show the possession. The effects obviously as the seasons go on and it gets more modern, like the effect gets polished and it looks nicer than like the kind of weird grainy black cloud (laughs) that they use uh, in this first episode here. But I actually really like it and I like the like lore, I guess, of like, the demon will look for someone who's got like a chink in their armor and will like use that to their advantage and stuff. Like I just was wondering like, what did you think about their take on like demons as a a villain or as like a a being? Look, I think the way they use special effects was definitely one of the more effective uses I've seen so far. Mm. Even if it was sort of like a grainy black blob, (laughs) it at least conveyed this sort of sense of, oh, it doesn't really have a physical form. It's just sort of a cloud that comes over people. And the fact that it has to use a chink in somebody's armour or an entry point of some sort and Mm. can't just take over anyone does severely limit its power. And I think that's a good thing for a show like this where Mm. it's not a case of the demon isn't the be-all, end-all, big villain at the end of the series. Yeah. It is a little minor villain through the way that they have to be able to defeat. If 
the demon could take over whoever it wanted, whenever it wanted. It would be so overpowered that there would be no way in hell for the brothers to stop it because all it has to do is take over one of the brothers. So you learn, like, later on that there are, like, things in place that they've done to prevent them from, like, being possessed. Like, they have, like, talismans and, like, whatever else, and they establish that later on. But I realise in this episode, like, they don't establish any reason why the demon wouldn't possess one of them. The thing is, like, they make a point out of saying, like, it'll try to possess someone who's freaking out. I'm like, you mean, like, Dean? who's freaking out the most, more than anyone else on this flight at all. Like, he goes and talks to the lady who was literally in a plane crash, and he's like, she's the most well-adjusted person on the fucking planet. Because she is, like, so chill. And he's, like, freaking the fuck out. Having to, like, hum Metallica to himself to calm himself down. And Sam's like, dude, chill. And he's like, how the fuck am I supposed to chill? We know the plane is going to crash. To be fair, I do think he has a point, though. Like, I'm with Dean. Yeah. <laughs> it is a bad idea to get on a plane that's about to go down in 40 minutes. Idea. Like, and I, Shitty idea. I understand why it was necessary, but yeah. it's a terrible idea. Mm-hmm. It is not a good idea in the slightest, and it just... Like, I'm with Dean here. I, I'm I'm happy to stay on the ground. Like, call in a bomb threat. Ground the plane. Yeah. Don't yeah, get I... on the plane and then try to exercise a demon in midair. I Also, oh, God, when they're doing... I was thinking, like, when they're speaking to... I think her name's Amanda. Yes. They're, like, talking to her, and they, like, convince her to go get the co-pilot. I was like, fuck. How are they always convincing random people to go along with them on this stuff? Can you... Because I was trying to put myself in her shoes. I was like, I related to her at the start of the episode because of the customer service. I was like, oh, we've got a connection. You know, like, we've had similar traumas (laughs) in that sense. And then I was trying to put myself in her shoes. I was like, if I was at work, in my, like, random customer service job, and someone said, hey, we think everyone's in danger, we think people are going to die, go and get this person, and then I went and got that person, and then they, like, started beating them up and, like, spraying them with something that was burning their skin, because I realised she doesn't know that that's water. She might think it's some kind of, like, fucking acid that they're just spritzing her co-worker with, you know? Like, it could be anything, any acid that could eat through flesh, and they're just, like, spraying it all over him she doesn't know it's water and i was like oh no like can you imagine being her in that scenario like what the fuck have i just done these people are clearly lunatics and now they're what murdering my co-worker on a plane in mid-air i just want to know what is their plan for getting off that plane like they've just abducted yeah. <laughs> and assaulted the co-pilot whether the co-pilot remembers it or, or not. not yeah they've just abducted and assaulted the co-pilot yeah of this flight and then they just walk off. And then they just, bye. Like, how, what, what, what's their plan to get off the plane? Like, how do they get off the plane without arousing suspicion? Surely oh somebody God. noticed them walking to the back where the, co- like, even if the co-pilot doesn't remember them assaulting him. Yeah. Surely somebody mm-hmm. saw them walk to the back of the plane to yeah. assault the co-pilot. I guess, like, it's always surprising to me how much people will willfully ignore because they don't want to get dragged into it. I saw a stabbing at a bus stop. It was broad daylight, middle of the day, on, like, a random Thursday, and I was in the middle of the CBD. I was with one of my friends. We were waiting for a bus. Like, I had come back from – I was coming from uni, and we were going to catch the bus home together. And so, yeah, it was, like, 1 p.m. on a Thursday in the middle of the CBD, and – I hear a thud and I turn around and some guy has been stabbed and he's fallen down. He's hit his head on the concrete and there are people everywhere. 
And people are just walking fucking past him. And so I look at my friend and I gave him, like, we'd had lunch and I gave him a water serviette and I said, you stop the bleeding, I'll call an ambulance. Because everyone else was ignoring this dude. And I could not believe it. As soon as the ambulance got there, everyone around us was flagging it down. Everyone at the bus stop was jumping and waving at the ambulance, trying to get its attention. Like, here is where the person is. Here is where you need to be. But did any of them go and check on the guy? No. Did anyone else try and call an ambulance? No. Did anyone else try and stop the bleeding? No. And bear in mind, at the time, I was like barely 18. Me and my friend, he was 17. We were the youngest people there by a long shot. And for some reason, everyone else ignored the situation. Like, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to acknowledge the terrible thing that's happening. Someone else will take care of it. And like, I wonder if that's how they get away with so much stuff. Because people are just like, well, I don't really want to deal with that today. I've got enough on my plate. So I'll just let someone else handle the murder happening behind me. On that note of putting themselves in situations. Yeah. They've just boarded this flight, right? Yeah. They're now across the country. Yeah. How are they getting back to the car? How are they going to get back? Are they just jumping on another flight and flying? Getting in a rental car. Getting in a rental car. I... <laughs> How are they getting back to the car? Here's my thoughts. Either Sam coerced Dean back onto a flight. Somehow I don't see that going down very well. Two, Sam coerced Dean into hiring a rental car, probably something fuel efficient, and forced him to drive back in that. Either way, hilarious. I see a third option though. Mm-hmm. Sam leaves Dean at a motel somewhere, <laughs> flies back himself, and then drives the car. Dean's just, like, hanging out, like, watching a movie in a hotel room, just, like, waiting for Sam to get back. I've mentioned, I think, in every episode, I love Jensen's acting. I think he's he just knocks it out of the park every fucking time, and I adore his freak out like the part where sam's like are you scared of flying and dean's like well it's never been a problem before why do you think i drive everywhere sam and (laughs) like and then when he's like on the plane and when the plane is going down and sam is exercising the demon and dean is just like back to the plane like arms stretched out and just the fear on his face and it's just that is one of the most gift moments in the whole show And it's just, it's so fucking funny. Like, the expression on his face is just golden. This flight is at least 40 minutes long. And it's like, yeah, it's probably, like, domestic. 40 minutes (laughs) flying translates to, like, three, four, five hours driving. Yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. Actually, what I loved about this episode was Sam's, like, younger sibling complex really came out. Um, Especially when he's like, she'll flinch at the name of God. And he's like, right, got it. And then he goes, and Sam's like, wait, Dean. He's like... In Latin, it's Christo. And he's like, yeah, I fucking know. <laughs> and I love that it's just Sam being like a little know-it-all. And, but also like it was peak annoying younger sibling behavior. But as an older sibling, oh my God, peak younger sibling behavior to be like, hey, remember this? It's like, yeah, I fucking know, bro. And they're like, but this? It's like, yeah, I fucking know. Now that we're four episodes in, how are you feeling about the brothers as characters? Because I know that you said, like, after the first episode, you know, you weren't in love with the characters. You didn't really, you were kind of neither here nor there. But, like, now that we're a few episodes in, we've got more of their personalities and stuff. Like, how are you feeling about them? I'm still not really connecting to the brothers as main characters. Mm. I am starting to see more of their dynamic. And yeah. I quite like their dynamic, having Sam be the more reserved one. But also, I don't think Sam's the more reserved one because <laughs> Dean is so bad at being the non-reserved one and the one who, like, flirts, etc. Like, he tried to call up the stewardess, right, and he pretends to be from the hospital. Yeah. 
and he immediately blows their cover. Yeah. So any chance that he had of stopping the stewardess from getting on that flight is gone. Absolutely <gasps> gone. He fucks it up immediately. He is just – and then he goes to talk to the stewardess in the back of the plane. Yeah. And he fucks it up immediately. He's <laughs> so awkward. They're trying to make him the flirty one of the brothers. But he's so bad at being the flirty one of the brothers. He's so precious. I love him. Is there, like, one that you find more interesting? Is there one that you find more compelling, I guess? Or is it just, like, you just blanket, like, both of them? you just kind of like, eh, like, they're all right kind of thing. You're setting me up to get mobbed by one section of the fan. I see what you're doing, Bethany. This is really mean. Okay. I think they just haven't really shown a lot of depth in the characters yet, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, no, that's fair. Like, we are only four episodes in. I think the sibling dynamic. Mm. That is something that I do enjoy. But I just don't really specifically like or relate to or... Either of them. Yeah. No, that's fair. Or particularly care about either of them at this point in time. I'm just... Like, I think... You're still forming an opinion. Yeah. I don't hate them as characters. Like, there are definitely characters where I've watched pieces of media before Mm. and I've looked at the characters and I'm like... I don't like you and not in a I don't like you as a person sort of way. Yeah. Just in a way of I don't like you as a character. You are boring to me and I do not want to watch yeah. you. I've definitely found that with a particular plot in later in Supernatural that I really detest, which you will hear all about in a little while. You know, and also in other media too. Yeah, there's some characters or some plots that you just kind of go, oh, I hate this. Please move on. Please don't make me do this again. Please don't make me do this again. And not because you think it's a terrible character or a terrible plot. It's just, it's not interesting to you personally. Yeah, or it's just like, it was interesting once, but now this is the eighth time. You get kind of to a point where you're like, okay, move on, please. I find it really funny that he's just blown the phone conversation with a flight attendant Mm -hmm. and then immediately he's like, I'm going to go and talk to her. It's like, wow, that went great the first time. That went great the first time, yeah, exactly. Also, the fact that he was the one that she talked to on the phone and he didn't significantly change his voice. What happens if she recognises his voice? Wait a minute, Arnie, what was her boyfriend's name? Like Ricky or something? Was that... No idea. I don't know. I think it started with an R, but she was like, you're not one of his friends, are you? And he was like, oh, yeah, you got me. And, like, I love that he just kind of ran with whatever she said. But also, (laughs) what sense does that make in her brain? When did she go, oh, yes, my boyfriend's friends are going to basically prank me by saying that my mother is in the hospital? I think that her thought process comes from the men are stupid and horny, and they'll do things that don't make any fucking sense and i can say this as a person who has dated men and have had many experiences of them doing things that don't make any fucking sense so in talking about things that don't make sense the music cue they used for the exorcism did you notice it no i'm sorry apparently i don't care about music (laughs) oh my god it's like this weird jaunty sort of little tune that they're playing while this dude is like getting an exorcism he's screaming in pain They're dousing him with holy water. It's burning through his clothing to his skin, Mm. which physically, how does that work? Is it that, like, the water sinks through the clothing and then the skin burns and then, therefore, the clothing burns? No, the clothing is is also possessed. Is the clothing also (laughs) possessed? And does this build up to cars going to heaven? I want to know. (laughs) Inquiring minds have questions. No, I, I would assume that it's the flesh is burning and then that's, in turn, burning the clothes. But also... I really liked the effect, whatever they did to show the skin burning, like, it's pretty, it's pretty good. 
Like, I, I can't imagine it was a bis- like a practical effect. I didn't clock it, so that's probably a good sign. I yeah. Didn't, I don't typically notice when things are really good. I notice when things are bad. I'm a bit of a pessimist. That's just how I watch <laughs> my media. But it's this case of I didn't really, like, I thought, I looked at it and I didn't think, oh, that's a kind of dodgy effect to use. Yeah. Or well, it's funny because I didn't really think about it either, but, like, having you, like, mention the scene, I'm like, oh, yeah, also, that effect was, like, pretty good and especially because this is the first instance of like them showing like a demon and an exorcism i thought the choices they made is like the how the possession happened like i said before with the smoke like and also yeah with the holy water like i thought it was pretty though in in relation to the possession i want to know what the co-pilot's weakness was because they've just established that demons have to take advantage of a weak point within somebody's psychological state, basically. Mm. So what was the co-pilot's weakness? Because was... it was very obvious that the first traveller, first two travellers actually, yeah. the pilot and the traveller, in both of those plane crashes, were nervous. they were nervous for, at least in the pilot's situation, understandable reasons. Yeah. So he, they took advantage of that anxiety. But what was the co-pilot's weakness? Yeah, I... They never actually told us, was... which I'm finding kind of weird. I wonder if the co-pilot was also on the other flight. No, they would have said that. I don't remember specifically. But, I mean, I guess it could be anything. And, like, as the show goes on, there are other demonic possessions and they're not always clarified with a, well, it's because X, Y, Z reason. They assume that the audience understands that there was a reason why they were able to be possessed and they don't have to go into the reason every single time. But yeah, no, I I don't know if they actually specifically explain why. I think I probably just assumed he was also on the other flight. But looking back on it, I don't know if that's actually correct. Like if they ever actually specifically mentioned it or if I just made that assumption. They did not say that he was on the other flight. He is a character that we had not encountered before. So every other character that they showed possessed by the demon was established as having a weakness and it just seems weird to me in the first episode where they're establishing this law to be inconsistent in the law that they are establishing yeah it is not two or three seasons down the track where you've seen like half a dozen demons and and every time yeah you can sort of see why it's the very first episode they've just established that demons cannot just possess anybody they have to find a weakness to exploit and then you're just having the demon possess this random character who you haven't even seen like you briefly see him board the plane Mm. but then after that you only see him once he's possessed yeah and he doesn't look nervous or uncomfortable in the boarding the plane scene i wonder if it's sort of trying to play into that idea of like it could be anyone so like you know how people often talk about this with like any sort of illness that is not immediately apparent from looking at someone's exterior appearance so like it might be something to do with mental health or it might be something to do with like a terminal illness that isn't necessarily like immediately obvious you know where it's this matter of like these kinds of difficulties could happen to anybody and you wouldn't know about it just because you look at someone and you you think oh they appear healthy and for lack of a better term like normal you know you don't actually know what they're experiencing internally you don't know that they might have like um chronic pain and they just they don't appear to be in pain because they're just used to being in pain all the time. It's just part of their existence. So like maybe, to be fair, they probably didn't put this much thought into it, but maybe that's kind of like one interpretation or explanation that you could find from it, which is maybe it's just playing into that anybody around you could be suffering 
or struggling in a way that you can't perceive, you know, and maybe that is like why he could be possessed, but we don't know why. There's could be a million things that he would be dealing with that as like a random person walking past him on the street, you just wouldn't know. And so as an audience member who's not intimate with this character, you wouldn't know. Which leads me to my next question though. What's the threshold? Like at <laughs> what point does your anxiety leave you liable to being possessed? Like I how guess, anxious do you have to be? I guess it could be like any point, really. Because it's like it's just the chink in the armour. So it's like it doesn't matter if you've got like, I don't know, like a waterproof phone or something. It doesn't matter how small the crack is. As soon as there's a crack in the phone, it's no longer waterproof. And it's obviously just the bigger the crack, the, the easier, easier it is. Yeah. So I guess that's probably the easiest like way to think of it in terms of like an analogy. Like it doesn't matter how small the leak is, it's still a leak. Oh, there's this moment at the start of the episode mm. where they are once again talking about doing crime in the middle of the street. Are they? Wait, what is it? I, I... They're getting into the car uh-huh. and they're talking about making fake IDs. Oh my God. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and, it's just, and like Homeland Security and Sam's like, I don't know, Homeland Security, that's pretty illegal, even for us. And it's like, Sam, again, are you sure that a lawyer is the, <laughs> are you sure that's the correct career path for you? Like, fuck, man. So I think this might be my PSA for the day. Oh yes, I'm here for it. Do not cr- talk about crime in the middle of the street. Don't talk about pu- crime in public. Mm. I think that's a good one. Yeah. I'm a big fan of be gay, do crime. <laughs> be be smart, smart about it. Yeah, exactly. Have like, what is it? The smart goals. Like, you know, if you're gonna, if you're gonna, you're gonna be gay, do crimes, at least have a plan. Have a five point plan. If you if your plan has less than five points, revisit it. Speaking of them being like Homeland Security and like their fake ideas. I really enjoyed the fact that they showed like that they had been let in and they're looking through the, the wreckage and then actual Homeland Security show up. And I love the bit where like they clearly like get out just as the other people walk in and then they're like very casually walking through the like back or whatever. And then the uh, the alarms go off and they're like, oh, well, okay. <laughs> it's so funny. They're like, right, time to get out. And they just yeet themselves over the fence and out they go i do appreciate the fact that they put in some effort this time though yeah it was less of a like oh we said we were this and everyone just believed us even though we don't look anything like the people who would be that we don't look anything like you're expecting us to look but just believe us when we say we're u.s marshals yeah but no i appreciate that obviously like more effort went into this and like it's it's also fun it i feel like it raises the uh it raises the stakes a little bit when they're like having to go into like a secure area and like having to sort of like there's more on the line i guess instead of it's not like in wendigo where they were kind of like yeah we're forest rangers let's go for a hike it's like yeah we're homeland security let us look at this top like secret secure location and take some photos and stuff you know i like the sort of cliche of like that they just got away with it sort of thing it definitely like this episode provided more clues as to where john is as well because there's the phone oh, message. The phone call right at the end. Yeah, yes. I forgot about that. So they didn't even realize because they'd tried to call John's phone and it had been disconnected in the past. And mm. now apparently the voicemail message has been updated. Yeah, which so, means he's not dead. Which means that he's not dead. Which mm. means that they're not searching for a body. They're looking for John. No, and that's good too. One of the things I like about the first season is like the mission to look for John. You do get bits and pieces. Like it's not like a over into episodes kind of plot it's like okay they sort of give you enough crumbs throughout that you're like oh yeah i forget that this is this is like that what's happening in the background we're still looking for john we're not just 
driving around the country dealing with monsters. Yeah, random, like, monsters of the week, I guess. Yeah, no, it's nice. I think they give us a good amount of, like, little, yeah, crumbs of, like, John's alive. And, ooh, a clue about John. And, ooh, thinking about John. And it's always kind of, like, interspersed through the episode. And it always comes in ways you don't expect. Like, when, like, Dean asks him, like, how did you know how to, like, get in touch with me? They're not expecting to hear about John. And the audience isn't thinking about John. Because up till then, it's just sort of been... He had his number and he called him. Yes. You know? It's been this case of they are now just trying to do what they can as they continue to try and look for clues as to what happened to John. Yeah. But it's been put on the back burner because they don't have a lot of clues as to what happened to John. Yeah. Because the lake episode that we discussed last week was certainly an episode where they didn't really discuss John at all. Mm, John's barely mentioned other than the first little bit of the episode where they're like, Sam's getting all pissy because Dean isn't looking hard enough for John and Dean's basically like, look, we've got nothing to go on. What do you want me to do about it? We've just got to help whoever we can help and look for clues wherever we have even the slightest lead. Yeah, it's it's that thing of um, as soon as you stop looking for something, you can find it. And, like, I guess that's kind of, like, almost the approach in this is, like, well, after that, he, like, basically told Sam, like, shut up. There's nothing we can do. We just have to keep on keeping on until something comes up. And then, yeah, sure enough, at the end of this next episode, they're just handed information. And to be fair, it's not like it's exactly helpful information in terms of, like, it's not a direction, it's not a map, it's not a location or anything. It's just a, well, he's probably not dead. But even that is something. It's more than they had a day ago. Exactly. Yeah. So that's, um, yeah, it's a really good point. While we're on the topic of last week, I realized when I was editing the episode, I didn't ask you to rate the episode. So while we're doing the wrap up of this episode, very quickly, what did you want to rate out of five Dead in the Water? I think I'm going to give Dead in the Water a three. I'd probably give it three and a half or four stars if they hadn't shot the entire episode in the dark. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah. Was this case of I couldn't really see anything and even shots that were meant to be in the broad daylight looked like they were shot in the evening. In the evening. Yeah. And at the end of the day I quite enjoyed the plot line, I enjoyed the storyline. I think the twist of the sheriff being one of the Killers. villains. Yeah. Essentially was a really nice twist, but it was just the way they shot it. Yeah. So for you it was just like the practicality of like it's difficult to see. <laughs> it's difficult to see. It was hard to watch because of the way they had shot it the lighting choices they made and it just didn't quite hit the mark because the production wasn't where i wanted it to be and it didn't make a lot of sense to me the way they had done it and so for this episode the phantom traveler what would you rate that out of five i think i'm going to give it a solid four out of five stars four out of five yeah wow wow like every episode you've increased i'm very happy about this i think (laughs) i pretty well hit my ceiling though i don't think i'm gonna give any episodes this season a five out of five stars remains to be seen i haven't watched them all yeah but i would definitely say that this has been the best episode so far yeah in terms of actually showing the characters as people and giving them any sort of complexity and depth Mm. the plot line made more sense than some of the previous episodes yeah the way it was shot wasn't quite as dark so I could actually see some of what was happening which (laughs) helped and their use of special and practical effects definitely an improvement from the last few episodes Mm -hmm. okay so to wrap up properly next episode we're going to be looking at uh, episode five which is bloody mary now obviously the title is a little bit like (laughs) descriptive but what are you what are you feeling going into bloody mary like what are you 
Do you have any predictions? So many years ago, I watched a show called Ghost Whisperer and they had an episode on Bloody Mary. And it was one of the most terrifying things I've ever seen. <laughs> like Supernatural wants what Ghost Whisperer had. Okay. <laughs> I'm not even joking here. The way they did Bloody Mary was terrifying. I'm pretty sure it was like a little girl and she was murdered and they had her still alive in the coffin, scratching at the lid till her nails came off. Oh. Genuinely terrifying. Oh, I hate that. It was such a good show. But, oh, my God. I watched it, and I was quite young when I watched it because I used to watch it with my mother, and I would have been, I would say, 14 or 15. Mm -hmm. But it just terrifying. And so I do know the whole, you stand in front of the mirror, you say Bloody Mary three times, Mm -hmm. it summons her, she gouges your eyes out. So I'm expecting that obviously somebody's played a game of Bloody Mary, has said Bloody Mary in the mirror three times, and it's gouged their eyes out because Mm. that's how the The story goes. Yeah, That's how the story goes. Anytime I've heard anything said about Bloody Mary. Mm. So I think it's going to be maybe one of those more scary episodes versus like the creepy episodes. Mm. Cool. All right. Well, I guess you'll have to wait and see. Um, That just about does it for today. Unless you had anything else you wanted to chuck in last no. minute? No. I think we'll see you again in Bloody Mary. Ooh, spicy. All right. <laughs> uh, we'll see you next week.